Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial, and you're joining us for the Saturday Morning Serial Music Issue with uh, our resident music expert, composer David Raiklin, he'll and be, he'll be joining us later. He'll be joining us later, yeah. and uh, we're also talking to uh, composer Matthew Margison, yep, who's done a bunch of stuff. Uh, Captain America, X-Men. Uh, yeah, he was the composer for G.I. Joe Retaliation, uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, uh, um, the Transformers Prime show, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think but, he did Revenge of the Fallen, too. Well, see, you've got... Uh, uh, big credit. And, and, yeah, and we talked to him about uh, one of his most recent ones, The Kingsman. A movie Secret I like. Coming yep. out on uh, DVD, Blu-ray, what have you soon. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and we just explore music and how, you know, how important it actually is to all these properties that we love so much. And maybe unrecognized. Maybe unrecognized, indeed. unappreciated. We we definitely set out on, on a mission here today. Yeah. To, uh, to make you appreciate the music more. In this weekly magazine. Yeah. 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 Here's our music issue, everybody. Uh, and once again, we talked to our old friend David Reichlin, who we talked to about Space Command like a year and a half ago or something. And we talked to him for a couple of hours probably. Yeah. Uh, I think basically the best part of it, we're going to have to save for another show. Yeah. 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 He talks all about Star Wars and uh, yeah, about yeah. how important it is and – you know, right. from, from a composer's from a point composer, of view, yeah, exactly. because it's probably not what any of you other nerds thought about. But <laughs> I know. yeah, I mean, a real John Williams, a file, uh, really knowledgeable. Uh, it, and just uh, more recently, he did Mia, A Dancer's Journey. Uh, you can find that on PBS. Uh, give him some money. Get a tote bag. Keep PBS going. Yes, and David does not That's get any of this money. It's nobody gets money PBS. from PBS. Going to PBS. Believe me, nobody does. I, I used to work for him. <laughs> okay, um, here we go. And uh, all right, everybody, in your mind's eye, please welcome David Raiklin to the room. So we ask you to join us again because we are Thank covering uh, music and television, music and film, and uh, those kind of those memories that they elicit. And what we wanted to do for you, uh, if Grim can help me out here, is we kind of. We open our show with a little medley of Saturday morning uh, cartoon and television music. And so, yeah, I'd like to, we're going to play this for you real quick. We're going to let you hear it. And then let's see where the conversation goes. Okay, so. Yes, so we'd like you, we'd like you to grade us, but also to be very nice about it. There you go. So let's kick it off here.
<laughs> there you go. Yep, there it is. That was There's awesome. Thank you. Well, there's been a recent uh, decision on uh, what is uh, copyrightable, but I don't think it would it would affect this. You all right. created. Yeah, all right, we're not we're not going to get Robin thicked. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my uh, my question right. about this is: for one, did you write any of that stuff? I don't I don't think so. If I checked your credits, but secondly, did did you know anybody that actually wrote any of this stuff? Um, and what did you think about? Did it bring out any memories in your head? Yes, it did bring me back to a Saturday morning cartoon. It basically takes us through what 1983, maybe 85, <laughs> Saturday morning may have sounded like. And um, the what I was hoping that it would kind of bring out is just this this overall idea that Music, um, specifically composed music, musical scores, um, are so integral with our daily consumption and of of entertainment and of our pop culture. It's it's so uh, threaded into that that we don't even really notice its importance anymore. Um, what's been your kind of reaction to? For one, making this a career, uh, and two, how much love and respect are you getting from your job nowadays? Gosh, well, those are great questions. Uh, let's start with the Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, I think that uh, one of them uh, you had in there was uh, the, the Spider-Man show. Yep. And and the Smurfs. Yes. Yes, those were and still are beloved characters. And lots of people know them from comics, graphic novels, plush toys, but probably more people recognize and identify those characters their Saturday morning cartoon incarnations. And I know people who worked on those shows, and uh, those characters are timeless. And so is the music. It's part of what gives them an identity. In cartoons, everything is fake. It's made up. There's nothing in there that's real except for the music. That's the one thing that if you played it in the real world where you and I are talking right now, it would be the same as it is on the screen. Spider-Man in an animated cartoon can't exist anywhere else except in the cartoon. And those funny cartoony voices, well, nobody actually talks like that in the real world because it's perfect for animation, but it doesn't quite fit in our 3D reality. But the music does. And you can go to concerts or you can play the music in your car with you. That becomes a part of your day-to-day life that lives beyond the confines of the show and leap off the screen and into the real world. And that continues even into other incarnations. For example, uh, bits of the Spider-Man theme from that era are used in the Spider-Man theme from the 90s and in the big screen movie comic book adaptations. Uh, Same thing with Scooby-Doo, which 
you know, it's been around since the, the 1960s and we've gone through many different versions and there are elements of the theme song that stay with the character because they're part of what makes it seem real because it's real. People play that music on real instruments and if they were to play it again right now, it would be the same. You could hear it and be live. In fact, that's one of the most magical experiences that anyone can have in making film, TV, and video games is to go to the scoring session because the music is the game come to life in the real world. So You're really just blowing my mind here. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that is very, very true. And uh, even though I... I try to fake that I understand that or that I appreciate it. I, I was just coldly reminded that I don't appreciate it as much as I should be. You know, a lot of it just kind of uh, feeds into uh, it. It's such a part of it. It's such a necessary aspect of it. It's like you don't think about breathing. You just do it. You don't think about your eyes blinking. It just happens. And the musical score of the popular tele- the television and the movies, it's so important. And luckily for us, it's so well done. We don't even think about it. So do you feel like your profession is being appreciated fully? More and more every year. Huh. For example. Really? It's, uh, so it's, it's actually getting better. In many ways, it's getting better, and the Internet has kind of been our friend that way because theme songs and the underscore for episodes are available online. You can go to YouTube or other places where you can watch these episodes and listen to the soundtracks. That's now available to billions of people 24-7. So that's a good thing because now people can listen to the soundtrack they might not have even realized that there was one, but Google uh, Scooby-Doo, there's uh, a fair chance that you'll come up with a link to one of the Scooby-Doo soundtracks. And people discover it that way. And you'd be amazed how uh, there are even folks who are thousands of folks who are fans of trailer music. You know, the bombastic music that plays behind the ads for TV shows and movies and video games. People who yeah, like I that. Did, that's kind of more the area down. that I was thinking of that's kind of purposely uh, uh, taken for granted. Theme songs and, and major scores, you know, like your John Williams or your theme to Friends. I think that kind of stuff everybody does know and does associate with and is conscious of. Scooby, Dooby, Doo, Where Are You? Yeah. Everyone knows that. But it's the incidental music that plays that if there was no incidental music, you know, the, 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 the slight string piece while the guy is walking up to the, to the, to the jar door in a suspenseful scene, that kind of thing. If that music is missing, you notice it. Absolutely. When it is in there and done right, you don't notice it because it's only one part of the larger presentation. But you feel it because of what our friend here just said, you feel it because it's, the only part of it that is real. So, well, in you know, cartoons, yeah. Well, but, but no, I mean, just in general, in music in the world of entertainment, in basically any world of entertainment that isn't music itself, video games, mm-hmm. movies, TV, 
if the music is done right, then it's actually very easy. The incidental music, I mean, then it's very easy to take it for granted. I see. That's the point of it. Yes. I agree with you about 50% of the time. (laughs) Collaborative medium, everyone has to be willing and able to take the lead. Rare that you'll see a good show that has only one actor in it. Yeah. Even if it's you know, uh, a, a show about Sherlock Holmes. We spend significant time looking at and becoming invested in other characters. So if Sherlock Holmes has a cardboard box that he's living in, we don't believe so much that it's Sherlock Holmes unless he's lived in a certain environment. So sometimes mm-hmm. the house that he lives in gets an establishing shot. And to some extent, people take that sort of thing for granted, but not really, because you get a sense of whether something is well made by the production values. That is, do the people appear to live in a beautiful house that's perfectly lit? Do they drive a cool car that has just the right amount of shine? When there's a fight sequence, does it look exciting? Does it get your adrenaline pumping, or does it look kind of fake? These are all things that individually and together add up to a sense of, hey, this thing is really well made. This is a a beautiful film versus uh, a cat video on YouTube, which is also entertaining. But everybody can tell the difference between something that has high production values and low production values, and that extends to the music. When there is a battle sequence in Star Wars, we hear the Star Wars theme. It wouldn't be Star Wars without it. That's how you know it is Star Wars, because when there's explosions going off and spaceships battling, well, it could be any action movie, but you hear, uh, now, there's no question that you're watching Star Wars. And it affects our perceptions, too, because as soon as you hear that, it reminds you that, oh, we're in the Star Wars universe, and it tells you what you can expect and what you're likely to not see. So uh, I, I would actually argue that you actually couldn't even start a Star Wars movie without that music. I mean, it's so entrenched in that particular genre or in that particular film. You absolutely oh, yeah, it's part of the need film. it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, some of the things that have always kind of uh, where where it leads me to how we don't appreciate it enough. It's when you hear stories of um, all the input that a director and I'm going to definitely ask you about your 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 process a little bit. But in what a director kind of tells you as you're hired as a composer for a film, I'm sure you get to see, you know, scenes or read the script and you're just kind of, you have to kind of make the music kind of fit the scene and fit the mood. But um, uh, very uh, recently I I was watching, I don't know if it was commentary on a a DVD or something, but um, Richard Donner was talking about Lethal Weapon. And, you know, this is the old Mel Gibson, Danny Glover movie. And um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Eric Clapton did some of the music for it. 
Uh, Clapton would play little guitar riffs every time Riggs, the Mel Gibson character, was on the screen. You know, some, you know, like there was always like that kind of, you know, you know, bluesy, you know, kind of music. And whenever Danny Glover's character would come on, it was a saxophone. So, you know, kind of bluesy, you know. Yeah, Um, that's a great technique. Yeah. Very Peter and the Wolf. Very Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. So um, it definitely made me remember again that I need to appreciate what you guys are doing a little bit more. But tell me about the process. Do they come up to you and say, hey, I want this to sound like Eric Clapton or, you know, do I want this to sound? So uh, kind of walk me through that a little bit. Well, that's a great question and a big topic. Communication between the director and their team is different for each director and each team. That's one of the reasons that you'll see the same actors, the same designers, same composer working with a particular director over many films. Part of it is because they like the person, but even more importantly, that relationship has good communication. So the director can convey what they want quickly and easily, and that actor or uh, composer or designer feels the same way that, okay, when he or she says that I should do uh, more purple, I know what more purple means <laughs> when uh, when Jim asked me that. I'll give you an example of the range that styles of directing can cover. When I'm working, speaking of animation, on an animated show, people, the producer, the director, will come to me before they have started doing any animation. And what they'll have is a script and some character drawings, and they'll create something called an animatic, which is kind of a moving sketchbook of what the show is going to look like. Characters are drawn very sketchy. There's no fluidity. You know, it's just still pictures like a slideshow. And a composer's job to make that come to life, to score it with music that reflects the characters, the action, the sense of place, all the different things that music can do. You know, if it's set, and then we have Camel Trader exotic music. If it's set in outer space, we might have uh, far-out synthesizer music. Uh, same thing for different characters. Uh, the hero, they might be trumpets, you might be electric guitar, depending on how hip he is. And all those elements have to come from the composer's imagination based on the script. And then they start doing the animation. At the other end of the spectrum is where the movie has been shot and edited, and they've decided that they like everything that's in there, and now they want a score. The director will say, okay, I want music here, here, and here, but not here and here. Spotting, where you go through and decide what kind of music you want where, and then you go off, and uh, you write that music, and, and you get an orchestra together, and you record it, or a band, or whatever, you know, ensemble 
it's appropriate for that film. So uh, the process can go from, all right, we want music to help guide us in how to make this movie, to, okay, the movie's already made, and it needs music to help here, here, and here, very specific. Uh, sometimes, like on Space Command, I'm brought in early in the process of a live-action film, and I've created theme songs and character themes that help the actors and the directors get a feel for what things should be like, because music can convey in a non-verbal way what's going on in the mind and heart of the characters, designers, the visual effects artists, to give a sense of the the grandeur or the uh, weirdness and otherworldliness or uh, what is the inspiration for the world that the characters live in. Music can play so many different roles. Uh, Another thing is, uh, another role is music that's in the scene. Uh, It's called diegetic, where the music that the characters are listening to in their world on screen is the same music that we in the audience are listening. Eating in a restaurant and there's music playing, it might be helpful to have that music play on set so the characters know what they're supposed to be listening to. So I hope that gives you a sense of how many different roles that uh, that music can play. Uh, and then uh, we can talk a little bit about the technique of how you find music, how you create music that fits all those different situations. All right, here we go. This is this is this is the in depth that I'm looking for. <laughs> We're getting there. Right, yeah. In fact, here, here. Let's. I want to play a little a little quick game with you, if you don't mind, David. Okay. Uh, we are we're in an elevator together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play the composer for this little uh, skit. I think that'll 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 make things easier. Uh, I'm a TV executive. I got a new series. It's an animated series, Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, it's about robot dogs who are sheriffs in an old west mining town on Mars. Uh, we're, we're going down about thirty floors. I want you to uh, give me your elevator pitch. What kind of theme song could you bring to the table for this? Okay, I hear something kind of like uh, good, bad, and the ugly, but with uh, synthesizers in addition to the electric guitar, so we have a sense that it's uh, Western and that it's something familiar, a genre we've been in, but it also has that far out sound. And I'd have rock drums because that's something kids can relate to that they know it's going to be an, an action-packed and uh, fun show. And I also think It'd be great. I hear voices singing in there. Um, they, they could be just doing, you know, uh, Yahoo shouts in the, in the background, but we'll process them so they sound like they're alien voices. Ooh. See? And <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so this is, this is really, you guys kind of have your own musical archetype kind of list, you know, like, you want to make it sound westerny? You know, like let's let's take out that, and then if you want it to be spacey, let's synthesize it. If you want, in, I don't know. I guess I just never really thought of that. You know? Well, I, you know, I, I got to hand it to you, David. You went right to an answer. 
That's you really good. You <laughs> obviously are preloaded in the mind to think this way. Uh, I asked this this exact same question, actually, of uh, Matthew Margeson, another composer, and he mm-hmm. had the exact same response. To I mean, not he didn't he didn't basically write the same piece of music as you, but he immediately said, "All right, let's break down these elements. Let's see what kind of sounds represent them," <laughs> and he went right to work on it. And uh, and I'll tell you what I told him, and what I do believe is the truth is, if it were up to me. I would just change some words from the Smurfs song. And, <laughs> well, but I also noticed you didn't put a laser sound effect anywhere in the mix yet either. Neither did he, and that's the one thing I wanted. You wanted laser as sound? the producer. So you know what? You no want one gets the a job. laser. Just tell me how many you want. <laughs> and do you want the lasers to be a specific tune? You know, I'm sure he'll throw it in there. That's excellent. Hello there, I'm Granny Goodwitch, the only human in the forest. Ready not, Granny, here I come. I heard that. It's Sugar Bear and he's after my sugar crisp again. I can't get enough of that sugar crisp, sugar crisp, sugar crisp. Oh, he's coming. Where'll I hide my post-sugar crisp? It's a honey of a snack, you know. It's sugar sweet and honey flavored wheat, so it keeps me going strong. Thanks, Granny. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. He could have gotten sugar crisp in Post 10s, too. Post 10s has all the cereals kids want. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. <laughs> that is... There's some real innuendo in that commercial. I, I know. <laughs> He's all coming home, you know. Walking like, the door. You gotta hide your sugar crisp, ladies. <laughs> that is terrible. That is terrible. And then she <laughs> still tries to, like, basically send them off with, like, the kids. You know, she's like, <laughs> remember, it comes in the post ins, and he's <laughs> handing them more cereal as he goes. Oh, uh, commercials have come such a long way. Uh, Well, anyway, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Though we are still talking with David Raikland Uh here in our music issue. Uh, We also, as as we just mentioned earlier, I had a chance to talk to uh, Matthew Margeson Uh a few weeks ago, right uh, right when... uh, The Kingsman. The Kingsman, The Secret Service, Mm -hmm. had just come out doing gangbusters. Gangbusters, I tell you. Good movie. I liked it a lot. I, I... don't tell them this, but I still haven't seen it. But it's coming uh, out on DVD real soon, yeah. so so I'm gonna hold it. I will do it, and I won't, and I'll pay and everything for this one. And you'll I get, promise. and you'll finally understand the inside joke of how I try to relay that to him through you, and not wanting to spoil it. I, I think you're gonna like it because I, I do. Oh, I do throw that uh, that question at him. Oh, you do. <laughs> and he does a good job about like he got a kick out of it, and he also was somehow able to not spoil it for me awesome or anybody else who hasn't seen it you know like as a matter of fact magic interview machine won't you take us to matthew margison meanwhile before i get going i want to i want to make sure i have your name right it's matthew margison margison perfect Ah, oh, excellent. I, I always like when I'm able to do that. Well thank no, you so no, much no, for I, I get i get margison more than more than not so thank you for asking <laughs> Uh, well, listen. I want to thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, I I especially get a kick out of uh, talking to people behind the music behind the movies sure. because I'm not really a music guy, and I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I and, I'm, and a lot of people I think take for granted the music that we have in movies. But but I know it's not an easy job, and I know it's very very artistic. And I would like you to uh, kind of, uh, if you could briefly sort of tell me what brought you to do that. If you wanted to work in movies, but you were musical, or if you were musical and then 
your life took a left turn, you ended up in Hollywood. How, how did that work out? Um, that happened um, through a kind of a series of events that involved um, when I was younger, I was kind of always involved in music and started playing piano when I was really young. Um, probably like started taking piano lessons at like four or five years old and um, was involved in my in my youth and in high school and, and even in college and in a lot of like community and regional state theater, um, but doing kind of under kind of the pit band, you know, musical direction for that. And um and uh I think you know, there's a a big part of it was when I was when I was in high school, one of my summer jobs I worked at a video rental store and I, and it was um it was it was one of these kind of local places that um you know no one really goes in there except for the people that live within like a three block radius, one of these mom and pop shops. And so as an employee there it was just kind of sitting all day and watching a lot of movies. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of, I guess it was that period in my life when I always when I started realizing, oh, you know, there, this music has to be written. Um, someone's got to do it. And, um, and, you know, that kind of sparked an interest in it. And then, um, you know, I've always kind of been writing different things. I've never been too good at lyrics or writing songs. So more just kind of instrumental music was something I was always into. And that was, that seemed to be some sort of professional outlet for it, you know, it, um, because the, the job opportunities are quite limited for writing, you know, contemporary kind of compositional composition music. Um, and, uh, and then I, I realized, I've, you know, a little bit of research in high school, there was a, there's a college in Boston, Berkeley College of Music, which offers uh, one of the few colleges in the States that offer um, a film music program. And so I went up there to study for, um, for four years or so, three, four years. And then after that, just kind of packed up the, the truck and drove out to Los Angeles, um, hoping for the best and uh and here i am talking to you <laughs> yeah yeah look you finally hit the pinnacle yeah you know i i i i count my blessings every day yeah that 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 is lucky because uh you know and all of you listening out there this is not an endorsement to pack up your truck and head out to la <laughs> no if, if you know anyone ever asks me like oh what do i need to do to get into film music i i i strongly um discourage it <laughs> It's a it's a lot of hours um, alone in a room with no windows, you know, <clears throat> kind of stressing over a blank screen or a blank page, however you want to look at it, in front of you, and and figuring out what the best thing is and what's going to stick. And then also there's just the political component of things, you know, in 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 dealing with directors and producers and editors and trying to you know a figure out what they want. And you know, a lot of the times, like you were saying earlier, they're not musicians and they don't know the dialogue, um, which which is a really good thing, you know, most of the time. Um, and so, um, and you know, so there's a lot of different angles to kind of to conquer in a way, or try to conquer at least. Well, well, you've got you've got great perspective then, uh, and and remember, everybody, all this is coming from a bona fide success in well, well, music and entertainment. So, <laughs> uh, in fact, you uh, you you did some of the music for uh, Kingsman, the Secret right. Service that's going crazy in the box office right now. Uh, yeah, full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. I, okay. I do intend to. I haven't been around. I to hope it. you do get to. It's a really fun ride. That's what I hear. It's getting really good reviews. Uh, in fact, my producer, Mark E., who set all this up, mm -hmm. he saw it, and he did send a question for you. So I, I'm hoping this is not a big spoiler. Go ahead. This is what he wanted me to ask you. He said uh, he loved the movie. It's a lot of fun, great gadgets, incredible destroy-the-world plot, uh, SLJ, 
the Blade Runner badass assassin, but it also had a lot of, uh, and he put this in quotes, kink. Particularly a scene at the end of the movie that gives a whole new meaning to the princess and the pea. And he asked, (laughs) what role did the music play in establishing this kink? Well, with Kingsman specifically, um, you know, I co-wrote the score for with Henry Jackman, who's a composer that I've worked been working with um, in a couple different. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've been, I've played a couple different roles in in Henry's operation, and in this um, in this case, we we started on the project together and really wrote the score together. And um, it, you know, in our really early conversations with the director Matthew Vaughn, the the underlying factor and direction from Matthew was that this movie needed to be fun no matter what's happening. You know, you always want the audience to be having fun. When when our when our when our good guys are kind of in in danger and their lives are getting threatening threatened and you know they are on the brink of kind of um destruction we 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 always have to be on the edge of our seats having fun and kind of laughing with the picture. And um, and so I think that gave us some some liberties, um, you know, as as dealing with the music to, you know, for example, some cases being as far over the top as you can, um, and 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 in some moments not, but you know, I mean, taking breaking breaking some of these rules and getting getting a little bit weird with the music and a little bit, um, you know fresh at the end and in implementing certain instruments like you know we at the beginning of the film it's a little bit more orchestral and then as you get throughout the film you go on this journey where the whole sonic of the film changes with the the sonic of the music changes with the with the kind of vibe of the film and we get you know guitars and drums and it takes on a little bit more of a band vibe towards the end with with still orchestra but it gets a little bit more rambunctious and i think i think that helped with the kink that you're talking about you know the 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 wink that's kind of in every um in every scene whether it be more of an espionage spyish scene or um or just your you know outlandish over the top action um we were able to really keep it fun and and always kind of give the music a little bit of a a uh, an elbow bump you know we're we're always having fun here well well that that seals it for me i'm going to go see this movie cool I hope finally you, like you, it. you put it over the top for me um it's definitely over the top both uh, cinematically and musically i can guarantee you Good, good, and I know, and you worked with uh, with, with Henry Jackman before. I know I did a little research. I saw mm-hmm. uh, Kick Ass Two, another one that's uh, that that could be a very, very dark and horrifying movie, but that they managed to keep kind of a light tone in it, and uh, and music plays a huge role in that. I think, and it's yeah, easy, I, again for me to take I, that for granted. Yeah, I think that that's. That's you know again it's a Marv Films production which is Matthew Vaughn's company and I think he if you watch most of his not all of them but most of his films seem to no matter what's happening you're you're as an audience member you're definitely in for a ride you know um, it's 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 a little bit different than it, and if you were to go and watch you know Schindler's List or something um, you're you're kind of always having fun and there's always a slightly stylistic nature and approach to you know basically every single scene that he does which is which is really nice it's it, it, it's a, it's a lot of fun a bite quite challenging as a composer to work with the team you know 
I'm 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 a big gamer, and I know you've mm. done music for video games, and that has got to be a completely different animal, I would assume, because you don't know how long that piece is going to be playing for, you know, various other things. Am I right, or am I giving you um, too much credit? No, you you are right. Um, at the bottom, the bottom line is that it's still music, so it's not like it's a completely different job, but. That what you brought up with the variable time lengths um, is the major difference, you know. So, and the, the 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 God bless them because I don't know how they do this. They've they've managed some sort of system where you know when we write, um, for example, if I write a two minute long piece for a video game, I actually you know depending on the game and how they're implementing the music, a lot of the time we'll write things in say maybe three or four layers. So if I go in and say I have, you know, 45 tracks of music going on, if I go in and mute, you know, 20 of them, um, maybe the remaining 20 is layer two. Um, and then if I go in and, you know, mute 10 more, the, that, that, those 10 remaining tracks are layer one. So, so you have this, you know, if it's, say, like a first-person shooter kind of thing, you know, you might have, you know, your stealth track, which is, which is um, you know, you're kind of walking around and there's no baddies and then, you know, four baddies come and you have to try to kind of, you know, get them and, and layer and you know, the game is structured in a way where layer two then will then sneak in. Um and so the track will get slightly more intense and that's all determined um by, you know, the player's actions on screen. So so we do you know, we do take into consideration that these things have to be loopable and they have to be written in kind of layers, but but all these layers can be played at the same time or muted to basically score what's happening on the screen at any given moment. Um, and like I said, I have no idea how that works. I'm sure it's a lot of ones and zeros and a lot of um, computer programmers, you know, like in a room by themselves figuring all the stuff out, like like myself. But um, but yeah, so there are certain considerations that we need to take. But at the bottom of the line, you know, it's it's still music. Well, you know, I uh, also going over your your list of credits, uh, I noticed that it's not that you always work within a certain genre or just with the same uh, uh, people, but you do. I would say that almost all your projects would be featured at a Comic Con convention. Right. You know, very very zeitgeisty. You're you're in there with the you Wreck It Ralph and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and X Men. You know, the, this is all stuff that's very popular, very pop culture, uh, and which is good because here on the show we talk about that kind of thing all the time. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been really lucky in that regard to um, to work on some of these films. Um, you know, especially one of one of I would say the the and if you ask a lot of different film composers, um, you know, the favorite, the best part of the process is at the very end going in and recording a live orchestra, and um, for most of these these that I've been fortunate to be a part of, um, we've gotten to do that. And that's just, I mean, it's just such a super treat to be a part of these films that can, that have the budget to go in and, you know, record a 60, 70 piece orchestra, sometimes with choir. And it's, and you really, it really brings the music to another level and the film to another level too, to have all these people um, working together to, to make it sound what it ultimately, ultimately, you know, sounds like it's a, it's a, it's a real treat. You've got a great resume. Like it, and and one of the things that stands out to me when I look at it is that you were the composer for uh, the Transformers Prime uh, mm. television series. 
You know, you right. do wow. not a, not a lot of TV on your resume, but when you do, it's it's essentially a cartoon. And we we love the old Saturday morning cartoons and you know those jingles that 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 you would that would make you salivate as a child when you turn on the TV on Saturday morning. It's you know, funny what, you should mention that because you know getting to be a part of that project was. Um, I was a you know I was a child of the '80s, so watching Transformers and GI Joe and Thundercats and all those films and He-Man were were that was just my bag growing up. So you know, getting approached to and 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 contributing some music to that was was really it was like kind of crossing it off the bucket list, you know. Ah, oh, well, I'm I for one, I'm glad it's on. It's up still on my bucket list. I have yet to have an offer <laughs> to compose any music for a new uh, primetime right. cartoon, but. But I'm glad that you have. I'm happy for you. Well, thank you. But let's, now, 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 I'm glad that you said you're a child of the '80s. As, as am I. As am I'm pretty sure almost uh, the, the core of our listenership is. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to put you to task here, real quick. Now, let's call this uh, 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 a musical elevator pitch. Now, I'm 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 producing a new Saturday morning cartoon about I don't know some robot dogs who are sheriffs in an old west town on Mars. Hmm. And uh you want to get the uh the, the the music job for it. Can can you just real quick hum me something? What would you put together? <laughs> oh, I can't give away my secrets like that. What I what I would say is you know, what we do like to do is not you know, I mean, any not anyone, but you know, what, the, the first layer would be coming up with, you know, sitting down at a piano and coming up with some sort of tune or some sort of chord progression or something that works. But, you know, also not just the notes, but what they sound like. So, um, you know, I mean, you're talking about an old west. You know, let's look. Let's look at our bullet points here. You have Mars, and you have old west, and you have old west, and you have electronic dogs. If if, if I'm not mistaken, so yep, yep, that's like, exactly what, what are what are those components? You know, I mean, do you ask? We have to talk about something like, um, do we want this to sound like an old west score? Do we want to bring in kind of like a, a Neo Morricone? Um, spaghetti western vibe, you know. Um, what sounds the dog makes? Do we want to go to the the pound and kind of record some dogs barking and some dogs kind of howling, and maybe we could make those into some sort of instruments? It's kind of those. Let's think outside the box, and 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 how can we how can we push the envelope a little bit and do something that we haven't heard before, but you know, it still has to be music. So, and I think that's that's kind of how um, you know how we progress, and you can't you can't turn yourself completely around where it's not going to be, you know, applicable to the genre anymore. But, you know, these little tiny pushes, I think, are how we kind of evolve as composers and come up with new things. And, it, you know, it's, 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 I think if you listen to film scores of the 70s versus film scores of the 90s or now, they're, they're you know, um, dramatically different. And it's those small changes that over time, you know, you know move things and make, things, make the music evolve. Mm. So that 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 would be the ingredients is kind of let's let's go see what we can do with dogs and um and you know I mean you bring you know what does Mars sound like who knows let's let's go on Google and see what we can find and see if we can become inspired by something you know Oh all right I like you know what I like your spot I'm going to give you I'm going to give you 9 out of 10 for that Fantastic. only taking Thank a point you. away because you didn't mention lasers you, oh, okay well, well we can we can right. definitely put some sort of inferred we can work it in in another mix. Perfect. We'll leave it to the sound effects, guys. How about that? 
there you go. There you go. We'll 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 kick this one on down the road. Perfect. Uh, well, well, thank you very much. I see. I love getting little glimpses into the creative process like that. That's exactly why I like uh, talking to people who, you know, not only know what they do but do it with passion and do it for a living. Well, fantastic. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Grim. I I most likely, if you had thrown that question to me, it would have been taking me about eight seconds to just plagiarize the Smurfs theme and come up with but some lyrics about a dog in space. So so good for you. You you actually know what you're doing. Uh, well, what, we're 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 trying. What uh, if if you don't mind, what are you working on now? Um, I'm just finishing up a um, a movie called Scouts vs Zombies, which. Um, is essentially Boy Scouts versus Zombies, um, and uh, that film will come out on Halloween of this year. Um, we're recording an orchestra in about a week and a half, so I'm really on the on the tail end of finishing writing and getting everything approved. And um, it's a really spectacular film. It's it's absolutely hilarious. It's got some really great comedy, and while at the same time, you know, having some really great scares and chases, and you know, you can't really go wrong with zombies right now. And yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's a really it's a really fun film. There's some really cool music in it, and I'm actually starting just I think I think I'm supposed to start next week starting on a new um television pilot which um I'm not sure actually right now if I'm allowed to say what it is or not, so I'll probably err on the safer side and say uh it's a new television pilot um comedy and uh um I think it will be airing on TNN uh you know in the next couple of months. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm. I, I, w- I won't push it, and I and, uh, <laughs> and and I wish you all the luck with this mystery pilot. Uh, Scouts versus zombies sounds, I hope, a little bit like comedy. Uh, it absolutely is. Matthew Martison, everybody, take a moment, appreciate. You've heard his music, unless you just don't watch movies. You have heard him. Uh, look for Scouts versus zombies. You can join me because I'm going to go see the Kingsman in the next day or two here now. Uh, kick-ass, too. I won't bother going on and on. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Margison. I look forward to hearing more of you out on the big screen and the small. This has been, this has been great. Thank you. Meanwhile, how's uh, Matthew Margison, who uh, I'm, I, I had a good time talking to because I think you know, he's like one of us. Yeah, yeah. He's a real, uh, a real geek. Yeah. I imagine, you know, if you're a professional, you just kind of take work when you can. Mm-hmm. Uh but all of his work is like stuff that I want to see. Yeah, yeah, it's really um th- that that whole part about the whole video games. That, that yeah, really I mean, isn't that fascinating? I know, I've played I've wasted thousands of hours playing video games and all that music and the complex whatever behind the layers. I had no idea, but it really after I heard him say that, now I now I do it differently. Yeah, I yeah. notice that kind of thing. Uh, and also, uh, I loved his, his answer to the elevator pitch. We've, we've really, we have got to find a name for this and get some, some producers. We've got to make this, uh, you want to make old this West Mars robot dog cartoon a reality. It's total recall, isn't it? I think you're right. That's where I got the it idea. Still <laughs> it still holds up. It still holds up. It's still good. Um, uh, anyway, uh, we, uh, we, as we mentioned, we talked to David Raiklin for so long. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to him. I want to. Because he he gives us a nice in depth look at his process about like the uh, the musical catalog that movies have created. I'm I think he puts it better. But uh, but trust me, let's uh, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll come back with a little more David Raiklin on the music issue. 
This trip's a breeze thanks to my super golden crisp cereal, fine high with 10 vitamins and minerals, and the honey sweet pot of this nutritious breakfast. Something shady going on here. Yeah, and my bitch digs your honey sweet wheat sugar bear. Dig this, bird brain. All you're getting is a vitamin pack punch. It looks like this turkey's goose is cooked. Can't get enough of super golden crisp. It's got the crunch with punch. Yeah. All the way back to ancient Greece. And those musical traditions are still alive and well. When soundtracks first came into movies, most famously in The Jazz Singer with uh, Al Jolson singing, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, the vocabulary of film music began with operas, drama with music on a spectacular scale people were doing in movies. And at almost the same time, in fact, really, as literally at the same time that the operatic vocabulary was being included, so was pop music. And the pop music of that time was jazz. So right away, we have films that are juxtaposing two very different musical art forms, opera and jazz. But it works in movies because movies are the great melting pot of culture. Everything gets thrown into the mix and somehow works if you know what you're doing or you're really lucky. Composers do work in film. People whose music has stood the test of time, it works in concert halls and on radio and has a life outside of the film that we were talking about earlier. And those people have expanded the vocabulary of film music to include more and more things. Um, I think you guys are science fiction fans. So you might recall uh, an iconic science fiction film from the 1950s called The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, yeah. That movie was the first one to use an electronic soundtrack. This is in 1951. Violin, electric cello, electric guitar, electric bass, organs, the theremin. You remember that sounding Mm -hmm. instrument that has a very uh, unique, distinctive sound. All of those instruments were put together into an electric band before rock and roll was invented. So Bernard Herrmann, the composer of the score for the Baby Earth Still, as well as uh, the composer of the score for uh, Citizen Kane and uh, North by Northwest and uh, many, many other uh, iconic great movies, came up with this brilliant idea that for space movies, we should add a whole electronics section to the orchestra. And sometimes since then, people have even tried scoring films with just electronics, and that's with more mixed success. Yeah. But yeah. That was big in the 80s, I remember. Uh, Beverly Hill Cop, for example. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and so then, and then you had in um, uh, 2001 uh, famously used a classical piece that now we associate that with space. So yes. he kind of, you know... He kind of took. He yeah, took he that appropriated. Music. He appropriated Zarathustra. I think I is could, the name of the piece. But I could yeah, never. Now say everyone it. knows it as the opening of 2001. Yeah. Yes, or the opening to Elvis's act, or any of the right. hundreds of other times that that piece has been used. But mm. yes, that music was about the 
dawn of civilization, and it was written over 100 years ago. But the dawn of civilization is thousands of years ago, so uh, it was still people in relatively modern times, and we can relate to that. So Kubrick went to music, the best music that he could find, that was about the dawn of civilization, because, yeah, that's what his movie was about, too. Another thing, though, that Kubrick did that really added to the vocabulary, that is something that hadn't been done before, even though he's a director and not a musician, all great directors have a good sense of musicality, in part because rhythm and tone are big in movies and TV, too. In fact, TV is like huge dependence on tone. If it's not the right tone, then people don't know that they're watching the right show. So uh, good directors have some musical aptitude and instinct. And what Stanley Kubrick did was take the most experimental modern orchestral music that was dissonant and had unheard of sounds, something that no one outside of a, a tiny group of people had ever heard before. And he put that in this blockbuster movie, and it worked great. In fact, it worked so well that even today we listen to that soundtrack and we think, wow, this is far-out, eerie space music about yeah. what is the destiny of man. And that was Stanley Kubrick who took music of George Ligeti, a uh, Polish composer who wrote some very complicated experimental music that no one would have ever thought to put in a commercial movie, except for Stanley Kubrick. So that expanded the vocabulary. And uh, an example of that is, uh, that, that verifies the truth is in uh, 1977, nine years later, John Williams emulated Sound of Ligeti in the opening and other sections of Raiders uh, of the Lost Ark? Close Encounters. Oh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters. There yeah, it is. That makes oh. more sense. It's spacey. <laughs> <laughs> right, and uh, John Williams used those techniques. Now, he made his, made his own version, but you can rest assured that he would not have thought to use this experimental technique to create weird, far-out sound if Stanley Kubrick hadn't already done it. Uh, Williams is probably the most talented, the most gifted composer who has ever worked in films. And I'm including Serge Prokofiev, who also did some fantastic film scores and is an incredibly gifted composer. And, you know, one of the greats. But Williams is a very conservative guy. And what he does is he takes the best ideas and improves on them. Stay for game. He's the soundtrack of of my childhood. Uh, by far, it's it's John Williams. Um, I think what what all of these guys are, um, what I think all of this kind of leads to is that these directors, these film creators, um, and show producers, they're, they they use music as the vehicle to establish the mood. Uh, and it's kind of they basically use music to do some of their work for them. Right, so um, if, if yeah, you no. <laughs> if you want a sad you know scene, you put some sad music underneath, and it just kind of kind of gets you there a little quicker, doesn't it? 
music can be used to save a scene if the actors are not quite in the groove and the emotions aren't popping you can use music to make that emotion pop and if the action scene is seems to be lagging no matter how fast we cut it we can add the right music and that will speed it up but it's not sheeting or doing the work for you it's part of your toolkit it's sort of like saying that well I can paint with all of these colors of the rainbow and we'll call music the blue and just because uh, I'm using blue instead of green here doesn't mean that I'm making blue do the work for me it's part of my toolkit and why would I leave it out see that's the thing that people don't understand but all great directors do sound is 50% of the movie experience I have verified quotes from Alfred Hitchcock Stanley Kubrick Steven Spielberg the Nolan they all say the same thing that sound is half of the movie now you're right not everybody notices the sound all the time just like not everybody notices the cinematography all the time we're supposed to be into the story uh-huh. but the music is telling the story yeah it's in some mediums it, it even it, it shoulders more than half the like in in reality tv when producers just take some random footage and then they piece together a clip of one person looking one direction, another person looking back another direction. <laughs> yeah. And then you choose between a Taylor Swift song or like a Blink-182 song. And then you decide whether it's going to be they're about to have some fun or they're about to have a heart-to-tart <laughs> talk. Neither one of which may have happened, but they set that kind of scene in reality TV all the time using music. Yeah. I think yes. you I think you nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, that's how those shows are made. Reality shows are actually scripted. In other words, yeah. what's happening on the screen isn't what happened in real life. They said, uh, okay, try it again, but with more feeling. And then they cut different bits together, and they added music, and now it's a show. Well, well, have, well is that a lie, Marky? <laughs> uh, is no. that cheating? Well, I don't, I don't watch that garbage. <laughs> no, I want, you know, I I really uh I seek out like, you know, real like art and production just just like you said. I mean, when you when you recognize like you don't always know why you like a particular director or a a type of movie, but you know it when you see it, right? And it tends to be that the guys that I tend to flock towards um it you basically name them, you know, it's the, the Spielbergs and the Lucases and, you know, the, the Kubricks even, you know, like those guys used music to complete what they were trying to accomplish, which is the, the telling of the story. And they did it so well that it just kind of completely pulls me in, um, you know, and, I'll be damned if I'm ever going to not appreciate what you guys are doing again. You know, <laughs> I've learned well, my lesson. So one of the ways of doing this that's really easy is take one of your favorite TV shows or uh, video games or films and watch it for a while 
with the sound turned off. Then no. Pull it back. I won't do it. Turn the sound <laughs> back on. Yeah. Yeah. And you will learn and appreciate all kinds of things that you weren't aware of before. It will actually increase pleasure and enjoyment. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, it comes through when you watch something that was made with, again, let's say not high production values. Yeah. And you can tell that they had a mic strapped to the camera filming a scene, and then every word is the same volume and cadence as every footstep or door creak. Uh, And then putting in, and then if they had the time, the budget, and the resources to put some music behind that scene, it seems totally out of sync. It seems like something that someone in the other room is playing too loud. And then that's when you do notice that there's music to the point where you're like, well, this music is terrible. Yeah. Well, and you know, what a when, crappy movie. I'm turning this off. I'm well, watching space command instead. <laughs> space command. I yeah, can't wait for that. Well, uh, we actually care. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know, when you, when you see some of the real, real great guys, like, uh, Scorsese movies, he's kind of, from from my understanding of it, he's very well known for the source music. It's the music that the characters are listening to. It's on the radio, the jukeboxes, or whatever. And, yeah. you know, he has this unique talent of kind of putting that within the story. It's a part of the story. The characters are listening to it with you, but the music is also telling you, well, it's 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 further projecting the mood of the scene, as everybody's partaking in it, it's kind of a part of the ride. It's in the car with you as you're driving down. Um, that is, it's hard to, it's hard to fully appreciate. And at the same time, hard to miss the impact of the music that's in a Scorsese film. And he's so good at it that he's also well known for music documentaries, right? Has yeah, he done yeah. a couple he's of good ones? Yeah. His first one, I think it was Woodstock and he yeah. the Rolling Stones one. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, yeah. well, uh, he is a great filmmaker, and by definition, that means that he knows a lot about pictures and a lot about sound, because that's what movies are. When you put <laughs> pictures and sound together, you get cinema. And to get specific, when you put moving pictures and music, you get a movie. Now, Maybe a great movie, it may be not so great, but those are the basic ingredients to have a movie. You need to have moving pictures and you need to have music. Now, uh, almost every movie has sequences that have no dialogue and minimal sound effects where the music is taking the lead. And that's where uh, the audience can completely join in, be immersed in the world. There's no dialogue that you have to figure out what they're saying. There's only whatever you're seeing and feeling without having to think. This is the most immediate, visceral way to experience a movie. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Uh, I, I feel like we've taken up enough of your time. And this is great. You should probably get back to writing a score or doing something <laughs> creative that I'm not capable of. Yeah, absolutely. We totally and completely appreciate not just this interview, but what you do. Uh, you can hear his music in Space Command and in uh, Mia. And uh, what else are you doing? Right. Look for that on PBS. Yep. Mia, The Dancer's Journey. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mia's Dancer's Journey. And you can go to Mia's film. 
www.showtimes.com and check out what the showtimes are in your city or country. And Space Command, like us on Facebook at Space Command Movie. You can hear more of my work at davidraiklen.com, D-A-V-I-D-R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. Um, another project that I'm working on is a secret science fiction show that I can't say anything more about, but oh. it's going to be very cool. I'm, I'm very intrigued. So we will follow mm. up with you. Send us a message. Uh, 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 give us a call uh, when you're ready to kind of talk about it because we'd like to talk about it with you. I'd love to. Thanks so much, guys. You were awesome. Mm-hmm. My super golden crisp cereal with eight vitamins makes this nutritious breakfast really neat. I just love that sweet crispy wheat. What's up, Croc? Don't be bashful with that box for the bear. Put the pole in the bowl. Time for a vitamin pack punch. In case he bit off more than he could chew, I can't get enough of Super Golden Crisp. It's got the crunch with punch. Yeah. I can't get enough of that Sugar Crisp. Sugar Crisp. Those are some. Either either they're very violent or they're somehow hilariously sexual. I Those think, sugars. well, I believe that. that sugar Bear. Yeah. <laughs> His name is the Sugar Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I don't know if you even noticed it, but they they ended up calling it Golden Crisp. Golden instead of. Uh, well, it was sugar. super. It was from sugar. It goes to super crisp. And now it's super golden crisp. You see, uh, yeah. So they, the sugar's out they, of it. They pulled sugar out of the name. That's uh, that's smart because I know they didn't pull it out of the cereal. <laughs> but the music's still there. It's Can't the get crunch with punch. Something. <laughs> so now it is kind of violent, right? Yeah. It's the crunch with punch. <laughs> yeah, the crunch with punch. Like the like, like there's caffeine or something in it. Too. I still think it's to sexual. The sugar, of course. I think it's sexual. Ah, oh, like a dunk. No. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's a honey bear. So much, uh, <laughs> sugar bear. Those older ones, like from the 60s, those were. Those were lurid, lurid. I tell you, good word, lurid. Yeah. Uh, well, any everybody, uh, we have an extra treat for all of you who stuck around uh, through a lot of uh, research and uh, funding and hard work and elbow grease. Mm-hmm. We have recently unearthed a little something that goes along with this weekend's big movie release. That's pretty right. well. I saw it. Avengers: Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. You you already saw it. I saw it. Uh, my review. Um, is wow. It's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how the hell he keeps that, that all well, straight. That's, that's yeah. not exactly the re- the review I want to hear for most summer movies. And yeah. I, I like the first one so much. I'm I would I would just I would have seen it no matter what you It say. argue it arguably is better. I mm. think, you know, it's really something. Uh, they just they put it to 11, you know. Oh. Yeah. oh. It's good. Real good. Anyway, gonna have to go to But 12. we have something older. But yeah. It it turns out I know all of you. If if you feel like you're smart, this was found. You thought that the Avengers was based on uh, some Stanley 1960s uh, comic book mm-hmm. characters. Oh no 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 no! Turns out, dating back decades earlier, we found an old radio drama recently unearthed. Hasn't been heard in many a moon. Yes, and we are about to play the first uh, the first two acts of uh, of the Brock Dandy P.I. Avengers 
Saga. What? Brought to you by, I believe it's Pemberton. Uh, Pemberton, yes. They were they were a big company back when this oh, they show were came big. out. Yeah. They were big. When America was America and men were men and mm-hmm. women were cooking. This is like the Mad Men it, it years. Was, it was, it, that's that's yeah. what I want you to picture. Yeah. Or maybe even a little earlier. Everybody smoking. It was, uh, people were smoking three cigarettes at a time. <laughs> yeah. And... and they had to because they kept getting wet by it with all the whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Sloshing right. around in glasses. Uh, at, at any rate, here you go. Uh, the 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 first half of the radio serial drama, Brock Dandy P.I. Welcome to yet another thrilling edition of Brock Dandy P.I. Brought to you by Pemberton Chewable Morphine Tablets. Pemberton. Mmm, that's euphoric. This week's episode, The Case of the Marvelous Avenger Gang, or just Tesseract Natural. We join our hero, Brock Dandy P.I., as he comes into the office one morning to find his partner, Nick Fury, already there. Oh, Nick. What are you doing at the office so early? Oh, sitting here eating my muffin and drinking my coffee and replaying the incident in my head. Uh, just, just forget about the incident, all right? We were both drunk last night, Nick. Speaking of which, you save me any coffee? No. Well, are you at least making some more of your famous muffins? See <laughs> Negro? Ah, uh, that's more like it. All right, why don't you pour us a couple of bourbons while I go head to head and take these heels off and figure out why I'm peeing blood. Detective Agency. Whenever there's trouble, we're there on the double. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Uh-huh. All right. Mm-hmm. Love you, too. Goodbye. Click. All right, Nick. It looks like we're going to have to take those bourbons to go. That was the chief of police or whatever, and it turns out the priceless Tesseract has been stolen from the Metropolitan Downtown Museum of Downtown Metropolitan Arts. Hey, what's that smell? Fooey, I burned the darn muffin. Ah, oh, to hell with your damn muffin fetish, Nick. We got a case to crack and no clues to crack it with. Which means only one thing. We got to go pay a visit to the Black Widow. You're still a motherfucking cracker, you know that, right? Yeah, and I also know you heard that phone ringing. Now, come on, grab your 38 and follow me. We got work to do. What dangers await our hero, Brock Dandy P.I., and his faithful yet scornful partner, Nick Fury? And what the hell is the Tesseract? And who is the Black Widow? Is she a hooker with a heart of gold who knows the streets like no one else? Yeah, yeah, I think that'll probably fly. The continuing exploits of Brock Dandy P.I. are brought to you by Pemberton Lead Plumbing. Pemberton, because American water tastes like lead, not fluoride, you filthy red. 
When we last left our hero, he and his partner Nick Fury were on their way to see the Black Widow to find some clues involving the case of the missing Tesseract. Let's listen in. All right, Nick, you better wait out here. The Black Widow can be quite a cagey broad, and I don't want to spook her until we get the answers we need. Fuck you. Uh-huh, whatever you say, buddy. You kiss your mother without that? Well, hello, Scarlet. It's me, Brock. Uh, Dandy. P.I. Are you kidding? I'm working. Yeah, I can see that, sweetheart, but I got important questions. I need to know who stole the Tesseract, and you need to tell me, and you need to tell me before I have to get violent. Ah, okay, okay, that, that was a good kick. No. Okay, you've got a hell of a right hook. All right, all right, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Just please, God, leave me alone and I'll just... Oh, why, why would you do that? I'm leaving. Okay, Nick, uh, let's uh, <clears throat> let's just uh, get out of here. Uh, it turns out Black Widow didn't know nothing, but I got somewhere else we can go. You know who Tony Stark is? No. Yeah, you can probably picture the type. Your typical fat cat billionaire on the side crime fighter. Hangs out with a whole crew of costume freaks. If anybody in this town knows something about something stupid like a tesseract getting stolen, it'd probably be them. They usually flop in a skyscraper right up here at Midtown. We can walk. It'll only take a few minutes. As of right now, we are at war. Well, let's not get carried away there, partner. I mean... Uh, we don't even know what a goddamn tesseract is, let alone where the... Oh, oh shit, that's my brother Thor up there. No, don't look at him, don't look at him. Oh, he's such a drama queen if he sees me and he's so mad about the drama. Oh, hey, hey, brother. Hey, Thor, how you doing? I thought you dead. We all did. Our father. Oh, for God's sake, you and I and Dad just had lunch together the other day. I just... You know, I've been busy lately with this, uh, Tesseract case and You all. give up the Tesseract! You give up this poisonous dream! You come home. I'll be home right after work. We were raised together. I know. We played together. Yeah, we fought together. I was right there. Do you remember none of that? Remember it? We're fighting together right now. Come home. How will our hero escape this chance encounter on the street with his overacting and scenery-chewing brother named Chris Hems... I mean, Thor... Can Tony Stark and his plucky, mismatched Avenger gang shed some light on the whereabouts of the Tesseract? Or at least whatever the hell it might be? Stay tuned for the answers to these and many other questions on the continuing exploits of Brock Dandy P.I. Brought to you this week by Pemberton Hormonally Enriched Beef. Pemberton, the meat is red. We just add the white and blue. Uh, uh, how about that? How about that? Old radio drama. How old is Samuel Jackson? Oh, that guy, that guy's ageless. Ageless. <laughs> he's, so. been, he's been doing stuff forever. Yeah. He's been in everything. Everything. He's been with Scorsese, Tarantino, Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pemberton Playhouse Theater, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. I had no <laughs> idea. We, uh, and, and also, if you enjoyed it, or... Hell, even if you didn't enjoy it, we're going to have the thrilling conclusion, <laughs> uh, which, which we are still in the process of unearthing. 
It's, from where? It's, it's taking a little, little bit of time. We're, we're, we're all, we've almost finished unearthing it. Uh, so we're going to throw that at you, like it or not, next week. Uh, and and as we go out here on, on our music issue, uh-huh. we uh, just serendipitous timing mm-hmm. got, got, well uh, got access to the uh, Orphan Black uh, score and soundtrack albums, mm-hmm. which are going on sale May 19th, I believe. Yeah, these got pushed out to us. To They're like, hey, have a listen. And we're like, what? This we're doing a right. music issue, and you're sending us orphan black music? What? It, it almost seems too good to be true, right? I'm like, well, let's absolutely put it in. Yeah. Only problem is, neither one of us is saying orphan black. <laughs> no, but it's on but the you, list. Yeah, you were familiar with it. I, like, the name rung a bell for me, but then you said, oh, you haven't heard about that? And uh-huh. you knew... At least a lot, and you knew enough, and I, I liked how you put it. You said this is like the number one show I'm not watching, but I should. Yes, it's there. It's this one and Game of Thrones. It's, <laughs> those are those are two. Speaking of yourself, uh, I, I, I now you've got me excited to see it. I haven't seen it. All I've heard is your description, uh, and uh, I won't ruin it for everyone else. It involves clones, but no Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Suffice to say, <laughs> he might be involved. I haven't, I haven't seen the show, but uh, I had a listen to the uh, to the to the score to the main theme. Their take on what the audio presentation, uh, which is half of a movie, mm-hmm. if you remember David, he'd, well, it'd be the first to tell you that sound. That's half of a movie. Well, well, regardless of it's it's uh, you you have to have the audio. You have to have so, the audio, <laughs> and, and it's got to match the tone. And, it's, and as David would tell you, it's got to give the audience some idea of what to expect. So I listen to the theme, and I think this is going to be the show is like uh, there's definitely action. There's sort of a dark edge to it, but I think it's human enough that it's got real pathos. We really like laugh uh, at at some moments. We really get to know characters that we would like to spend time with in real life. And then you never know, they might die off. And this sounds also very modern. I hear some of the electronic components coming through. Mm-hmm. That is my impression. I'm going to go watch the show and see how close I was. What is what is your impression? Well, I know, I know a little bit more about it. So when I heard the soundtrack, um, I believe that it's uh, and so a little bit of backstory about about the show, how I understand it. Uh, Orphan Black is it's about this young woman uh, who's been cloned, and it's the same actress, and she's very talented. There's been some press lately about how she didn't get nominated for an Emmy, but she's playing nine very distinct roles. <laughs> she's ba- she's holding up this whole amazing show. It's on the BBC. Uh, her name, I'm going to put it up in front of you, see if you can say it. Oh, Tatiana Maslany. Yes, and I just read an... They featured her in a recent Rolling Stone. They kind of did a little interview with her. So she's the next big thing, and she's in this show. And she plays like these nine different characters. And so hearing the soundtrack for this, uh, you hear, I believe, aspects of the different characters that she's playing. Mm. So as she's a different person, although she's like technically the same person, mm. uh, you get a different atmospheric you know, uh, feel because of the music that's playing in the background. So having never seen this show and just piecing together what I know about it and what the music is, this could be the greatest show on TV right now. <laughs> it's your favorite show. It's my favorite show that I've never seen. So I am going to check it out, though. It's uh, I'm, just, I'm waiting to get snowed in somewhere. I live in the desert, unfortunately. So It's going to take a little while. It's going to yep. take a little while here in, here in May. 
but uh, that's that's on uh, the BBC. You probably catch it on so. BBC America yeah. or it, something. You know, it might be the, on the Hulu or the Netflix. Um, I, 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 you know what? I think I have seen that name float around the Hulu verse. Look, I, I caught up with Sons of Anarchy, and that was awesome and worth it. It was worth waiting to just bottle it all up. You know, it's the one of the best shows with awesome cliffhangers. And yeah. so let's get it. It's, you know, you get to just pop so, in the next so one. So you're hoping that, uh, yeah. that this is going to be like that. I think You'll so. have a whole season or two. Just to, I, li- I like doing that, too. And you know what? I'm just uh, I'm going to say this. That's what it sounds like. No. Yeah. So you, uh, you out there listening, uh, if you have not seen this show, listen to this. Get an idea in your head and then go and see it. See how close you were. Uh, and then we'll all meet back here next week and report on it. What do you say? I'd say that's enough of this. Thank you.